Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners in resident-owned communities, brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Paul Bradley. And I'm Mike Bullard. Listeners, we have two really interesting guests for you today. These gentlemen, Jeff and Jason Searles, are the sons of the founding president of the Meredith Center Cooperative. Some of you know that Meredith Center was the first resident-owned community in this now national network of almost 300 resident-owned communities. And their father, Bob, grew up across the street and moved into the quote-unquote mobile home community before it became a co-op. Bob and Patty, his wife and the boy's mother, lived in the community when the longtime owners, who were aging and needed to sell, offered to sell to the homeowners. The co-op bought the 13-home community in June 1984, and the rest is history. Jeff and Jason grew up in the co-op and still have friends there. We won't do a bio for each of these New Hampshire residents because we will start out asking them what they do for work. So let's jump right in. Well, we have got two wonderful guests here on Ownership Matters this afternoon. Jeff and Jason, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having. Yes, thanks. Oh, it is our pleasure for sure. We really look forward to sharing your story with our listeners First, guys, uh, maybe just uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. You know, where where are you from, and uh, what do you do for work? Jason, I'm Jason Searles, uh, born and raised in in Meredith Meredith Center, New Hampshire. I spent pretty much my whole entire life there, uh, except for when I was in the service, and a little bit of time I went to South Carolina. I work for the town of Samberton on the highway department, and. Uh, now I live in Salisbury, New Hampshire. Excellent. Excellent. And Jeff, how about you? Yeah, I also am from proudly from Meredith Center, New Hampshire. Um, I currently live in Ashland, New Hampshire. I work for the Belknap Landscape family of companies, um, which is Belknap Landscape, Belknap Tree and Plant Care, and Carroll County Landscape. And I am their brand coordinator. Now, so folks might be wondering why we have the Searles brothers on today's episode of Ownership Matters, and it's actually a really special story. These guys grew up in what is today known as Meredith Center Cooperative, what you might have heard of as the very first resident-owned community in New Hampshire, and the one that sets the stage for the 279 that have followed since, and counting. So tell us a little bit about what you remember about the neighborhood and the community and what it was like when you grew up there. Jeff, why don't you kick it off? Sure. So I, I was, was fairly young when the, uh, prior to the co-op becoming a co-op, I distinctly remember a sense of community in the co-op. It was, it's, it was a very civically minded little a uh, little nutshell, if you will, of people who were able to influence their own their own lives in a way that um, they they probably prior couldn't have. And so I grew up attending board meetings, which sometimes would take place over our kitchen table, or um, you know the the co-op as a whole solving problems for the community. So it's it kind of. It kind of, you know, in my opinion, gives me a unique view on what community is. And since I think he's going to turn out to be a big part of this story, could you tell us and our listeners a little bit about your dad, Bob? What did he do for work? When I was small, he ran a filling station 
called Highway Oil in Laconia on Union Avenue across the street from Irwin Marine. Uh, it's a car dealership now. But uh, when I was small growing up, I mean, he, he was there all the time, basically from the time it opened till the time it closed. So uh, I, I spent a lot of my time with my dad there. As I said, Jeffrey and I, we're, we're not, we're about six and a half years apart. So um, by the time Jeffrey had come along, my father said, well, now I have two small boys at home and I want to be able to spend a little bit more time instead of being at work all the time. So he took a job for the state of New Hampshire and he uh, started out at the Laconia State School as a uh, started out driving a laundry truck of all things. Uh, and then eventually he moved into his final position, which was uh, running the the crew that that took care of the when it was Laconia State School and in the prison, and then shortly thereafter when it was in in interim. And there's some other things I think to know about him that can kind of maybe give a little backstory on this. So uh, he grew up in Meredith Center, and my mother grew up in Meredith Center. They were both blue collar uh, work full time people. Uh, I can't really remember a time that either of them were unemployed. But as blue-collar people living in uh, Meredith Center, um, they wanted to stay there and they wanted to raise their family there. And again, that can be challenging when um, there's forces from outside where, for lack of a better way of putting it, there is much more economically prosperous ways of utilizing the land that the mobile home park was on than what it was being used for at that time. So you've got a guy who he grew up there. His wife grew up there. And he wants to raise his family there. And at the inception of the co-op, he was really looking at, I don't know if we can make this work. I don't know, you know what's going to happen. Am I going to be able to raise my family where I would like to raise them. Yeah, and your father, at least as I know, took a early leadership role in the co-op coming together. Is that how you experienced that? And was that was that a natural uh, role for your father to play, sort of a convener and pulling people together kind of guy? The biggest reason I think he took the reins in the beginning is because, uh, as I said, uh, and, and Jeffrey had said, not only did my father just grow up in Meredith Center, he literally grew up across the street from where the co-op is right now. I mean, so, you know, he he knew the Safford family personally and, you know, him and Vic, they, they Vic relied on my father heavily when it was the Stafford's trailer park. So everything that was there, my father was involved in right from the beginning. So it was sort of kind of a natural thing that when it was discussed about this that they they turn and they say hey bob basically anything you know from septic systems to wa to water to electrical and things like that it was just natural for everybody to turn to him and say hey what do you think i i personally do think uh, that he has some natural leadership um qualities but i think we're always going to think romantic things about our parents mm -hmm. um but with that said you don't know what if you have those leadership capabilities until you're thrust into a situation like that. And he was, and I, I like to think that he responded well to it. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also bring up another point. And it's, 
we're talking about him and I love the fact that we're talking about him. He's my father and I love him. But sometimes it gets lost in this conversation. I just want to bring it up that Vic and Marion made the conscious decision to sell the park. They took a risk. A lot of that has to do with their relationship with my father. But a lot of it has to do with just the type of people they were. And if we're going to if we're going to be lionizing some people, they at least deserve, you know, some mention. Of course, I think my father did an awful lot to it, but I wanted to bring that up as well. That's a really good point, Jeff. We see this time and again, and perhaps they set the course uh, really for a lot of community operators around the country. We could introduce you to uh, a family who just sold in Missouri. Uh, Parents developed the property 40 years ago, left it to their three daughters, and the three daughters just recently sold it to the homeowners. And I think it's easy to underestimate the confidence and commitment that one needs to have in order to take on a sale to the residents and overlook just how incredible that is when when uh, they make that that decision. Like I said, I mean, to, to, to show the kind of people that they were, I was a little four-year-old toddler and I used to to, uh, to walk from our house and go up and sit with Vic and Marion and, you know, Marion would play the piano and, and Vic would, would break out his fiddle and just to just to see how how it was to see the kids smile and laugh and you know that's that's the kind of people they were they they i don't ever think that they ever wanted to say okay we're going to just go ahead and and let this go and, and here you go you guys are on your own you know it was like an extended family mm. yeah there's a real strong theme you guys are reporting out here with this strength of of community and this commitment to place. Your your dad had an enormous commitment to place. Grew up across the street. Uh, Jeff, as you were saying, wanted to raise his boys right there in Meredith Center. And then this real commitment within the neighborhood, not just to uh, the community owners, Vic and Marion, but to the neighbors as well. And it sounds like you guys grew up in a, a pretty cool little neighborhood. I'm curious if you, when you look back on your childhood, is is that what really stands out for you? The the strength of that community that you guys were raised in. For me, yes, it it definitely does. It was a small community within a small community, mm. uh, within a small town, if you will. And I've heard it said that it takes a village to raise uh, strong children. We definitely had a village to raise us. And conversely, as my brother got older and as I got older, we became part of the village that helped raise the kids as well. I mean, Jay, Jay coached baseball. There was a, a Meredith Center team and Jay coached the baseball team. Obviously, we weren't a, um, you know, we we were working class, you know, blue collar area. So some of the folks in our neighborhood maybe you know didn't have a lot of disposable income and you would see my hand-me-down clothes on the kids who grew up next door we took care of each other which is something that you know it may be lost um in some places today but i can tell you um i don't go back to the 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 co-op that often but i can tell you from what i've heard and what i've seen it's still occurring today 
Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I, one of the questions I had was catch us up to speed. Here it is almost 40 years later, 38 years later. Sorry to date you guys, but uh, I guess that's the nature of the show here. We're, we're kind of right. dating you back to 1984 as a seven-year-old and I guess a two-year-old. But um, yeah, so Jeff, you've, you've been back to Meredith Center Cooperative. What's, what's it like there today? What's going on there today? So I haven't been uh, spent significant time there recently as much as uh, my brother um, has, but I can tell you that the property for me going in and seeing how, you know, properties are taken care of, you know, new, new mobile homes have moved into place. Even just the fact that I see, I see kids out playing with each other, like outside playing with each other when you drive through some neighborhoods, you're not, you're not seeing that. It's, it's one of those things. And it's even, I run into people who, you, you know, those kids that I, I said, uh, you know, wore my hand-me-downs. If I wore Jay's hand-me-downs, they ended up wearing my hand-me-downs, which used to be Jay's. I run into them at the grocery store or, or whatever. And it's nice to see how successful they are. Jay could probably speak uh, better to what it's like in the co-op right now, but from what I see, it's in it's in very good condition, and there seems to be the community still seems to be there. Jeff's right; it, it pretty much is. I mean, they uh, just like with anything, you know, it, it's all changed with with the younger generations moving in there. I was one of the 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 last original family members that was there when I left. But uh, the the neighbor who lived up above us, who actually bought mine and Jeffrey's uncle's house, he is a third generation family member from the co-op. So it, it it's not like it's a uh, just a, a a place to live, like an, a, an apartment building or anything. It actually is, like you said, it's 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 a community and it's a uh, a place that that people enjoy being. And like Jeff said, I mean. I, a little story I like to tell when I was in the service, when you're in the service and you have to go home on leave, you have to give your address. Well, in, in 1990, we still had an RFD number. So one of the sergeants that I had said to me, what do you live in Mayberry? And I'm like, well, technically no, but for all intents and purposes, it, it, it really is. And, and it's that type of a small tight knit community. I mean, it's a little looser now, but uh, there's still a lot of people that, that still live there that were there when Jeff and I were young. And uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people may still continue to stay there and have their family there. Well, Jason, that's really wonderful to hear because it confirms what we hear a lot of community leaders saying at the time of purchase, which is, you know, we're doing this for us now, but we're also doing this for generations to come. It's going to keep this neighborhood secure and affordable long after we're not living here anymore, right? And and I got to ask it. It's not not a question I would usually ask people, but do you have any idea what the rent is today at Meredith Center Co-op? Yeah, it's one hundred fifty dollars a month. Wow, that has got to be about the cheapest place to live in almost all of New Hampshire, right? Yeah, and that actually includes uh, uh, quite a bit. It, it includes snow removal, trash removal. 
now they weren't when it was uh, first started, but um, now they're on city water. So that also includes the water for all the members that are there. You don't have your own separate water bill. It's only one bill for the whole co-op, not each individual household. And it also includes the property tax as far as the actual land, not the home. Uh, what I'm hearing there is is 38 years with the profit margin taken out of out of site fees and really affordable rent all the while tons of improvements have been made if you think about the money that these people are saving on rent and what difference that can make to quality of life and things like that it's incredible versus you know if it were a profit making enterprise you are at the mercy of you're at the mercy of your landlord. And I mean, geez, $150 a month. I'm thinking about selling my house and moving back in. Yeah. Talking about the uh, site fees at Meredith Center Cooperative takes me back to the mortgage burning party, which was the last time I visited more Meredith Center Cooperative. Were either of you there for the mortgage burning party? And and I'm, I'm recalling it was uh, 1994. Jeffrey would have would have been there. I I was uh, still in the service then. So, did I lose horseshoes to you, Jeff? You know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I some of I remember it. I would have been sixteen at the time, so I might have been too cool to attend. Yeah, but I do remember when the co-op wasn't wasn't concerned about that. Uh, you know, about that note, and and I also remember. The sense of, I mean, let's just be honest. They proved you could do it. And they proved you could count on these people to pay it off. And they proved that it was a viable thing to do, which I do. I really remember that sentiment going, uh, you know, around the co-op at the time. Well, you you can't underestimate the importance of that uh, Merit Center Cooperative and frankly, all the co-ops ever since that ability to meet their obligations and go beyond meeting their basic obligations, obviously paying the lenders back so that the lenders will relend to the next co-op, but the maintenance of the community, the engagement in the community, uh, all the things that it takes to be a successful resident-owned community. Meredith really did set the set the, the course for that. And thank goodness they did. So you're absolutely right, Jeff. They, you can't underestimate the importance of what one community does on the, you know, impacting what is possible for homeowners in other communities. And with Rock USA, the, the New Hampshire co-ops really creating an opportunity for homeowners across the country, which literally did not exist prior to 2008. You know, New Hampshire was really the only state where homeowners, if they did join together and had a willing community owner willing to sell them, that could get together and purchase their communities, you know, with very little money down. That's because of the success at Merit Center Cooperative and the many co-ops that followed. And fortunately, from that era, you know, uh, 1984 and, of course, the 1986 co-ops and, and all the rest of those in the 1980s, uh, there have been many more mortgage burning parties uh, since. Uh, most recently, I heard our, our friends over in Greenville, New Hampshire, at the Greenville Estates Cooperative, are now debt free 
um, and that's 193 homes, so sort of the other end of the spectrum from mayor to center in terms of size, and just fabulous. What a difference that makes in terms of the stability uh, for families that are wrestling with so much economically and and uh, with everything else going on. So, so important. That's why we're all in this, uh, and that's why we appreciate you guys coming on and telling your story because it's all it's all part of the fabric. It's all part of making resident ownership successful. Absolutely. I've got a question that for either of you, uh, but Jeff, you said something earlier about uh, growing up, going to board meetings, which I have not heard before. I, it made me wonder, you know, growing up in that environment and, and in the co-op and, and apparently having a front row seat, has that had any effect on who you grew up to be? You know, the, the things like democratic decision-making and stability and that sort of, uh, that sort of stuff. Does that play a factor in your life today? Yes, it has. Uh... I'm not a spectator to life. I can I can appreciate that I myself and the people around me, if they so choose, can influence and make a difference. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people don't see that. And sometimes people uh, don't get to experience that. I, I right now I'm thinking to myself, you know, if I if I were in a, a mobile home park that's getting ready to be sold. I kind of feel like I'm a I'm a spectator to this. I don't have any influence unless, you know, I'm part of a cooperative that's going to help purchase it. To be able to see that you can make that influence. Um, and, you know, I'm not a terribly politically active person. And, you know, I, I tend to keep my opinions close to my vest. But with that said, I can appreciate the difference that that can make. The other thing that it's really helped me with, man, I'll tell you, at these board meetings, and if there's people listening, I'm sure that they'll agree with this, there can be disagreements, and there can be frank conversations, and to see people commit themselves to sticking it out and figuring out how they're going to work it out together is really encouraging, because I can tell you there were times you know, just disagreements about all kinds of stuff. And they wouldn't, sometimes they wouldn't leave until it got figured out. And that took compromise and that makes you a better person too. So those are some things that I, I definitely took from it. I will, I will say, and I hope that it's this way in a lot of places, it was always civil. They always understood that, you know what? We're a part of a cooperative, which means that we need to cooperate and the best way to cooperate is to, you know, have our ground rules and be civil with each other and appreciate one another's point of view. And those are things that I learned as well. Wow, Jeff, uh, there's a textbook in what you've just said. Uh, and let me unpack that a little bit to hear you say ground rules. Keep in mind, listeners, this is a 1984 co-op and this is the, the a child of the president speaking. Those in the network today will recognize that we have ground rules for participation, and a lot of co-ops actually formally adopt ground rules, Jeff, uh, in order to guide meetings and behavior, just in the manner that that you're stating and in, in what you witnessed. But the other, the other two things that you you said that just really uh, stuck with me. First, it's you know I've always believed that, and I've always experienced tremendous capacity within the communities that we work in 
and frankly, in communities that we aren't working in, uh, every community I've ever walked into, I'm just impressed with the capacity and the so much leadership capacity that goes untapped. And uh, it's really a matter of providing people an opportunity uh, and, a, and a, a method in which for, the, for them to, to demonstrate their leadership. And that certainly you know, captures your father. He, he saw the opportunity and took, took a leadership role, not that it was always easy, but the goal and the purpose was worth it. And the last thing I'll say is, is in terms of people sticking, sticking together through the thick and thin, we have seen this time and time again. It is always so impressive. And a lot of tough conversations uh, I've, I've participated in over the years come back to, look, everybody, we've worked so hard to get this far. We can get through this sticky wicket. We can get through this together. Um, we just gotta, we just gotta figure a, a path through it. But we've worked so hard to get here. So, so much of what you just said, I tell you, really resonates with me, and that's what that, what I've experienced well as well in this work. In my opinion, being a leader doesn't mean having the title of I'm the president of the co-op or I'm the vice president of the co-op. Being a leader means I care about the people that are around me. I'll speak honestly, even when it's difficult, and I will listen. That's what leadership really is. And people lead in different ways. The co-op had so many leaders. Everybody was a leader, in my opinion. And it took people, it takes you committing to being that sort of a leader. And there's going to be times where it's difficult. I mean, we're talking 13, 14 families. If you think everybody got along swimmingly all of the time, they didn't. But I can tell you that every single person in that co-op, I know for a fact, cared about me as a person. And I can tell you that my father cared about every single person in that co-op as a person. I think that's the type of leadership that made it successful. And that's the type of leadership, too. You had asked earlier about his leadership qualities and why I think the people in the co-op, when it came time to pursue this and maybe, you know, sign on to something that was new, that hadn't been tried before, I think they just saw, well, yeah, we know Bob and, you know, we can trust Bob and Bob cares about us. You know, geez, you know, the we had to put a new roof on my place. And Bob came over and helped me put a roof on my place. I can trust Bob. And you know what? If we're going to do this, we've got to do it together. And I'd like to do it together with these people that I live with. And that's, I mean, I, I realize I'm going on a little bit on a diatribe there, but that's kind of how I saw it work. And I know, like, I mean, I could tell story after story of things that things that I saw Jason do to support the kids in the, cause I mean, let's be honest, he's seven years older than me. He was the cool guy in the, in the co-op and we would go to, we would go to, you know, school and it was just neat to have a cool guy. You know what I mean? Who you were going to school with, who he, he was my brother. So I knew I, you know, I, I knew he had my back, but he had, he cared about every single person in that co-op. That's that's what it takes. And that's the leadership that makes a difference. Jeff, that that seems like, you know, the, the perfect wording to put on the brochure for any neighborhood. Right. And that who wouldn't want to move in 
when you hear that, that things are like that. And Jeff, your story um, was featured in a blog post that was written by the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. And we'll share that link with, with folks in the show notes so they can check it out. But I was, I was really interested in learning more about the changes your folks were able to make after the co-op came into existence. And, and I've got to assume that that's due in part to the, to the cost savings as the years went by and, the, and it became an even more affordable community to live in. But I remember reading specifically that your parents bought a new home that was featured in the manufacturer's catalog every year. And, and I wonder if you could just tell us about that as sort of a final look back here. Sure. So, you know, being a member of a co-op means that not only do you own your mobile home, but you own the land that you're on while it's technically the co-op's land you're part owner of the co-op so having home ownership translates to a certain amount of pride and and my father's he took a lot of pride in the property so he he built flower beds with you know stone walls around them and um he would decorate for christmas and then that sort of stuff got contagious around uh the the co-op as well I said to my friend one time when we were kind of talking about this stuff, I said, you want to know what the difference is? When you rent a car, do you wash and wax it? <laughs> you don't. It's a rental. You don't own it. Well, when we owned the place, he took a lot of pride in that. And they did. They would come and it's funny. They would, they would drive into the co-op and they would park a distance away. And I remember one time there was a big sliding glass door in our, in our mobile home. And we didn't know we wanted to watch him take the pictures, but we didn't want to be in the pictures. So you're like peeking out through the windows and my mother's sitting there right in front of the sliding glass door. Um, and this was before Photoshop. So I'm sure that she was featured in a catalog somewhere. <laughs> um, but they would come through and they would they would take pictures because it was a brand new home and it had very, you know, very good curb appeal and landscaping. As far as, you know, mobile home parks go, and Jay could correct me on this, but it had a it had a very large lot. Some, you know, some rolling turf scapes and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it was it was in some catalogs. As you said, it was it was like a feature home because it had things that other mobile homes you didn't you know see. It, it, it was built more like a house, uh, a stick built house than you know a mobile home, a manufactured home. Like you said, I mean, even just when you were just saying mom standing in front of the slider, sliders were were when that house was built. That was something that was sort of kind of new. You know, they didn't come from the factory with sliders. I remember when we were going through the process of ordering it, we bought it from this place in Guilford called Lily Pond Mobile Homes, which I don't think exists anymore. But, uh, you know, going back and forth and, you know, ordering everything and that sort of thing. And it was a pretty involved process that I don't think that they had done at Lily Pond. And I don't think it would have happened if there wasn't a co-op. Why would you invest all of that time and why would you invest all of those resources into a mobile home that you're going to be putting on property that you don't own? The term mobile home is a misnomer. They're not mobile. You can move them and they're on wheels, 
good luck moving back into it once you've moved it that second time. So the fact that there was a co-op, you know, it it made it so that, yeah, you know, I'm going to invest in purchasing a new mobile home here. And I can tell you the vast majority of the people in the mobile home park, there were there were new mobile homes parking up, you know, popping up after that. Ours was the coolest. Something that was different, that's for sure. Yeah, it was a little bit of a callback to to what I said before. These people stopped being spectators and they started, you know, taking control over where they lived. And that included, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm gonna buy a home. That's what I want. I have the security now to do that. Couldn't have written that better myself. Keep it up with the Searleses. I love it. Thank you very much, guys. This has been a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful session. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to join us on Ownership Matters and really taking us back to the beginning of this whole rock movement. Sure. If if there's just one thing that I kind of want to say in closing, because I know that there's there's maybe some people who are thinking about, you know, do we do we as a group take a leap into, you know, making a co-op work? Our mobile home park may be for sale. It made a, a significant difference in the quality of life for Jason and I and the other children that grew up in the mobile home park. The stability that we received, the lessons that we learned, you you can't get that by being a spectator. So I would I would encourage you know people to to really think about and and you had mentioned it earlier, yeah okay it's a, it's a risk right now but this is a decision that you may be making um, for your children and future generations. Well, that is a great note to end on, uh, Jeff. Thank you very much, and uh, Jeff and Jason, the Searles brothers from Ashland in Salisbury, New Hampshire, but grew up in. Meredith Center, New Hampshire. Thank you guys so much for coming on to Ownership Matters and sharing your story, your some 40 year story and experience with resident ownership here. So thanks gentlemen and all the best to you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Mike, I really loved how Jeff and Jason drew just such a wonderful portrait of the community that they grew up in. And imagine they still visit friends in that community to this day. It sure was fun and meaningful too. I mean, I loved hearing Jeff and Jason talk about the community and their parents, neighbors, and the former community owners, Vic and Marion. They clearly loved growing up there. And wow, uh, Jeff's life lessons, like uh, not being a spectator in life, were very insightful. He was uh, the one that also talked about having frank conversations and sticking it out. You know, so much of what he picked up on as a wee little one are things that I've observed and in some cases participated in, in resident-owned communities. Yeah. Now, Paul, something you always say jumped out for me. You, you always talk about how much capacity you've come to see in every community you've visited. And I mean, really, that matches my experience too. But Jeff and Jason lived it and saw the inherent capacity of people, their neighbors and their parents for themselves. And that was cool. It was a walk down memory lane, Mike. I can't let losing at horseshoes at their mortgage burning party be the last visit to Merritt Center Co-op. Let's put Merritt Center on our visit list uh, post-COVID. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on another episode of Ownership Matters. Remember, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
And hey, uh, if there's an uplifting story happening in your community that we should talk about, please let us know. Just email us at ownershipmatters at rockusa.org. That's ownershipmatters at rocusa.org. Thank you, everyone. Talk soon.